Chapter 8, Part 2 of Zone Policeman 88. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Zone Policeman 88, A Close-Range Study of the Panama Canal and Its Workers by Harry A. Frank. Chapter 8, Part 2. This justice business, one soon learns, is of the same infallible stuff as the rest of life. After all, it is only the personal opinion of the judge between two persons swearing on oath to diametrically opposed statements. And for all the impressiveness of deep, furrowed brows, I did not find that the average judge had any more power of reading human nature than the average of the rest of us. I well remember the morning when a meek little Panamanian was testifying in his own behalf, in Spanish, of course, when the judge broke in without even asking for a translation of the testimony. That'll do. Because of your gestures, I believe you are trying to bunco this court. You are lying. Tell him that. This to the Negro interpreter, and he therewith sentenced the witness to jail. As if any Panamanian could talk earnestly of anything without waving his arms about him. The telephone bell rang one afternoon. It was always doing that, twenty-four hours a day, but this time it sounded especially sharp and insistent. In the adjoining room, over the blotter, snapped the brusque, stereotyped, nasally reply. I'm calm. Bingham talking. The instrument buzzed a moment, and the deskman looked up to say, Andy, and a nigger just fell over into Pedro Miguel Locks. They're sending in his body. The nigger lit his head and hurt his leg. His body? How uncanny it sounded. Andy, that bunch of muscles who had made such short work of the circus wrestler in Gatun, and whom I had seen not twenty-four hours before bubbling with life, was now a body. Things happen quickly on the zone, and he whom the fates have picked to go generally shows no hesitation in his exit. But at least a man who dies for the ICC has the affairs he left behind him attended to in a thorough manner. In ten minutes to half an hour, one of the ZP is on the ground taking note of every detail of the accident. A special train or engine rushes the body to the morgue in Ancon hospital grounds. A coroner's jury is soon meeting under the chairmanship of a policeman. Long reports of everything concerning the victim or the accident are soon flowing administrationward. The police accident report is detailed and in triplicate. There is sure to be in the personal files at Culebra a history of the deceased and the names of his nearest relative or friend, both on the isthmus and in the States, for every employee must make out his biography at the time of his engagement. There are men whose regular duty it is to list and take care of his possessions down to the last lead pencil, and to forward them to the legal heirs. A year's pay goes to his family, were as much required of every employer, and his the burden of proving the accident to the fault of the employee, how the safety appliances in factories would multiply. There is a man attached to Ancon Hospital, whose unenviable duty it is to write a letter of condolence to the relatives in the state. And so the kangaroos, or the red men, or whatever his lodge, was filed behind the ICC casket to the church in Ancon, and Andy was laid away under another of the simple white iron crosses that thickly populate many a zone hillside, and he was charged up to the big debit column of the costs of the canal. On the cross is his new number, for officially a zoner is always a number, that of the brass check he wears as a watch charm alive, that at the head of his grave when his canal digging is over. Late one unoccupied afternoon, I picked up the path behind the administration building and skirting a zone residence, began to climb that famous oblong mound that dominates the Pacific end of the landscape from every direction. 
Ancon Hill. Four away, a fairly steep and stony path led through thick undergrowth. Then this ceased, and a far steeper trail zigzagged up the face of the bare mountain covered only with thin dead grass. The setting sun cast its shadow obliquely across the summit when I reached it, a long ridge with groves of trees running off abruptly toward the sea. On the opposite side, Uncle Sam was cutting away a whole side of the hill. But the five o'clock whistle had blown, and whole armies of little workmen swarmed across all the landscape far below, and silence soon settled down save for the dredges at Balboa that chug on through the night. But for myself, the hill was wholly unpeopled. A sturdy ocean breeze swept steadily across it. The sinking sun set the jungle afire in a spot that would have startled those who do not know that it rises in the Pacific at Panama. Crude, glaring colors glowed, fading to gentler and more delicate tints. Then the evening shadow that had climbed the hill with me spread like a great black veil over all the world. But the moon nearing its full followed almost on the heels of the setting sun, and, casting its half-day over a scene rich in nature and history, invited the eye to swing clear round the hazy circle. Below lay Panama, dully rumbling with night traffic. Silent and cone, still better lighted, cuddled up on the lower skirts of the hill itself. Then beyond, the curving bay, half-seen, half-guessed, with its long promontory dying away into the hazy, moonlit distance, lighted up here and there by bushfires in the jungled hills. Some way out winked the cluster of lights that marked Las Sabanas. In front, the placid Pacific, the South Sea of the Spaniards, spread dimly away into the void of night, its several islands seen only by the darker darkness that marked where they lay. On the other side of the hill, the rumble of cranes and night labor came up from Balboa Dock. There began the canal, which the eye could follow away into the dim, hilly inland distance and come upon a great cluster of lights that was Corozal, then another group that was Miraflores, close followed by those of Pedro Miguel, and yet further, rising to such a height as to be almost indistinguishable from the lower stars, the lights of the negro cabins of Upper Paraiso twinkled dimly above a broad glow that was Paraiso itself. There the vista ended, for at Paraiso the canal turns to the left for its plunge through Culebra Hill, and all that follows— Empire, Cascadas, and Fargatun was visible only in the imagination. If only the film of time might roll back and there pass again before our eyes all that has come to pass within sight of Ancon Hilltop. Across the bay there, where now are only jungle-tangled ruins, Pizarro set out with his handful of vagabonds to conquer South America. There old buccaneer Morgan laid his bloody hand. Back in the hills, their men died by scores trying to carry a ship across the isthmus, the Spanish viceroys passed with their rich trains. There, on some unknown knoll, Balboa reached four hundred years ago the climax of a career that began with stowing away in a cask and ended under the headsman's axe. No end of it, down to the forty-niners, going hopefully out and returning filled with gold or disease, or leaving their bones here in the jungle before they really were forty-niners. On down to the railroad days with men waiting in swamps with survey kits, and frequently lying down to die. Then, if a bit of the future, too, could for a moment be unveiled, and one might watch the first ship glide majestically and silently into the canal, and away into the jungle like some amphibious monster. It was along in those days that we were looking for a murderous assaulter. At a Saturday night dance in a native shack back in Miraflores bush, 
the usual riot had broken out about midnight and a revolver had come into play as a result there was a peruvian mulatto up in ancon hospital who had been shot through the mouth the bullet being somewhere in his neck it became my frequent duty among other zps to take suspects up the hill for possible identification one morning i strolled into the station and fell to laughing the early train had brought in on suspicion a spanish laborer of twenty-one or twenty-two a pretty girlish chap with huge blue eyes over which hung long black lashes like those painted on nuremberg dolls no one with a shadow of faith in human nature left would believe him capable of any crime anyone at all acquainted with spaniards must have known he could not shoot a hare would in fact be afraid to fire off a gun the fear in his big blue eyes struggled with his ingenuous girlish smile as i marched him through the long hall full of white beds and darker inmates the peruvian sat bolstered up in his cot a stoical revengeful glare on his reddish-brown swollen face he gazed a long minute at the boy's face across which flitted the flush of fear and embarrassment at the big doll's eyes then shook a raised forefinger slowly back and forth before his nose the negative of spanish-speaking peoples then he groaned spat at a tin can beside him and called for paper and pencil in the notebook i handed him he wrote in atrociously spelled spanish that man came to the dance with this man is the man that shot me with a bullet the blue-eyed boy promised to point out his companion of that night we took the ten fifty-five and reached pedro miguel during the noon hour down in a box-car camp between the railroad and the canal the boy called for jose and there presented himself immediately a tall studious solemn-faced spaniard of spare frame about forty dressed in overalls and working shirt here was even a less criminal type than the boy senor i asked did you go to the dance in miraflores last saturday night with this youth si senor then i place you under arrest we will take the one o'clock train he opened his mouth to protest but closed it again without having uttered a sound he opened it a second time then sat suddenly down on the low edge of the box car porch a more genuinely astonished man have i never seen no actor could have approached it still whatever my own conviction it was my business to bring him before his accuser after a time he recovered sufficiently to ask permission to change his clothes and disappeared in one of the resident box cars the boy was already being fed in another had my prisoners been of almost any one of the other seventy-one nationalities i should not have thought of letting them out of my sight but the zone spaniard's respect for law is proverbial jose pinched jose cried his american boss when i explained that he would find himself a man short that afternoon you people are sure barking up the wrong tree this time why jose has been my engineer for over two years and the steadiest man on the zone he writes for some spanish paper and tells them the truth over there so straight that the rest of them down here the anarchists and all that bunch are aching to get him into trouble but they'll never get anything on jose have him tell you about it in spanish if you sabe the lingo but jose was a gallego whence instead of the voluble flood of protesting words one expects from a spaniard on such an occasion he wrapped himself in a stoical silence not until we were on our way to the railroad station did i get him to talk then he explained in quiet unflowery gestureless language he had come to the canal zone chiefly to gather literary material not being a man of wealth however nor one satisfied with superficial observation he had sought employment at his trade as a stationary engineer besides laying in a stock for more important writing he hoped to do in the future he was the zone correspondent of el liberal of madrid and other spanish cities 
in the social life of his fellow countrymen on the isthmus he had taken no part whatever he was too busy he did not drink he could not dance he was no sense in squandering time in such frivolities but ever since his arrival he had been promising himself to attend one of these wild saturday night debauches in the edge of the jungle that he might use a description of it in some later work so he had coaxed his one personal friend the boy to go with him it was virtually the one thing besides work he had ever done on the zone they had stayed two hours and had left the moment the trouble began yet here he was arrested i bade him cheer up to consider the trip to ancon merely an afternoon excursion on a government pass he remained downcast but think of the experience i cried now you could tell exactly how it feels to be arrested first-hand literary material but he was not philosopher enough to look at it from that point of view to his spanish mind arrest even in innocence was a disgrace for which no amount of material could compensate it is a common failing how many of us set out into the world for experience yet growl with rage or sit downcast and silent all the way from pedro miguel to panama if one such experience gives us a rough half hour or robs us of ten minutes of sleep at the hospital the peruvian gurgled and spat beckoned for paper and wrote this is the man what man the man who came with that man he scribbled nodding his heavy face toward the blue-eyed boy but is this the man who shot you i demanded the man who came with that man is the one he scrawled well then this is the man that shot you i cried but he would not answer definitely to that but sat a long time glaring out of his swollen vindictive countenance propped up in his pillows at the tall solemn correspondence by and by he motioned again for the paper i think so i am not sure he miswrote i did not think so and as the sum total of his descriptions of his assailant during the past several days amounted to a tall man rather short with a face and two eyes he's very insistent about the eyes which is the reason the dull-eyed boy had fallen into the dragnet i permitted myself to accept my own opinion as evidence the peruvian was in all likelihood in no condition to recognize a man from a loop guru by the time the fracas started much ardent water had flowed that night i took the suspects down to ancon station and let them cool off in porch rocking chairs then i gave them passes back to pedro miguel for the evening train the dull-eyed boy smiled girlishly upon me as he descended the steps but the correspondent strode slowly away with the downcast cheerless countenance of a man who has been hurt beyond recovery there were strangely contrasted days in the gumshoes calendar two examples taken almost at random will give the idea on may twentieth i lolled all day in a porch rocker at ancon station reading a novel along in the afternoon corporal castillo drifted in for a time he stood leaning against the desk rail his felt hat pushed far back on his head his eyes fixed on some point in the interior of china then suddenly he snatched up a sheet of icc stationery dropped down at a typewriter and wrote at express speed a letter in spanish next he grasped a telephone and in the words of the deskman spit spig into the foam for several minutes that over he caught up an envelope sealed the letter and addressed it an instant later the station was in an uproar looking for a stamp one was found the corporal stuck it on the letter fell suddenly motionless and stared for a long time at vacancy then a new thought struck him he jerked open the drawer of the gum shoe desk flung the letter inside where i found it accidentally one day some weeks afterward and dropping into the swivel chair laid his feet on the gum shoe blotter and a moment later seemed to have fallen asleep by all of which signs those of us knew him began to suspect that the corporal had something on his mind not a few considered him the best detective on the force 
at least he was different enough from a printer's ink detective to be a real one but naturally the strain of heading a detective bureau for weeks was beginning to wear upon him damn it said the corporal suddenly opening his eyes i can't be in six places at once you'll have to handle these cases and he drew from a pocket and handed me three typewritten sheets then drifted away into the dusk i looked them over and returned to the porch rocker and the last chapters of the novel a meek touch on the leg awoke me at four next morning i looked up to see dimly a black face under a khaki helmet bent over me whispering it de time sah and fade noiselessly away it was the frontier policeman carrying out his orders of the night before for once there was not a carriage in sight i stumbled sleepily down into panama and for some distance along avenida central before i was able to hail an all-night hawk chasing a worn little wreck of a horse along the maticum i spread my lanky form over the worn cushions and we spavined along the gravelled boundary line past the chinese cemetery where john can preserve and burn joss to his ancestors to the end of time out through east balboa just awakening to life and reached balboa docks as day was breaking i was not long there and the equine caricature ambled the three miles back to town in what seemed reasonable time considering as we turned again into avenida central my watch told me there was time and to spare to catch the morning passenger i was not a little surprised therefore to hear just then the two sharp rings on the station gong i dived headlong into the station and brought up against a locked gate caught a glimpse of two or three ladies weeping and the tail of the passenger disappearing under the bridge americans have introduced the untropical idea of starting their trains on time to the disgust of the spig in general and the occasional discomfiture of americans i dashed wildly out through the station across panama's main street down a rugged lane to the first steps descending to the track and tumbled joyously onto a slowly moving train to discover that it was the balboa labor train and that the cologne passenger was already halfway to diablo hill a panama policeman of dusky hue leaning against a gatepost eyed me drowsily as i slowly climbed the steps mopping my brow and staring at my watch what time does that six thirty five train leave i demanded yo senor he said with ministerial dignity shifting slowly to the other shoulder no tengo conocimiento de esas cosas i have no knowledge of those things he probably did not know there is a railroad from panama to cologne it has only been in operation since eighteen fifty five later i found the fault lay with my brass watch with a perspiration up for all day i set out along the track hounding diablo hill the realization that i was hungry came upon me simultaneously with the thought that unless i got through the door of corazol by seven thirty i was likely to remain so breakfast over i caught the morning supply train to miraflores there to dash through the locks for a five-minute interview i walked to pedro miguel and descending from the embankment of the main line nailed a dirt train returning empty and stood up for a breezy ride down through the cut it was the same old smoky toilsome place a perceptible bit lower as in the case of a small boy only those can see its growth who have been away for a time the train stopped with a jerk at the foot of culebra i walked a half a mile caught a loaded dirt train to cascadas the matter there to be investigated required ten minutes that over i got in touch at the nearest telephone and the corporal's voice called for my immediate presence at headquarters there chanced to be passing through cascadas at that moment a panama-bound freight the caboose of which caught me up on the fly and forty minutes later i was racing up the long stairs there i learned that among other things that a man i was anxious to have a word with was coming in on the noon train but would be unavailable after arrival 
I sprang into a cab and was soon rolling away again past the Chinese cemetery. At the commissary crossing in East Balboa, we were held up by an empty dirt train returning from the dump. I tossed a coin at the cabman and scrambled aboard. The train raced through Corozal, down the grade, and around the curve at unslacking speed. I dropped off in front of Miraflores police station, keeping my feet, thanks to practicing good luck, and dashing up through the village, dragged myself breathlessly aboard the passenger train as its head and shoulders had already disappeared in the tunnel. The ticket collector pointed out my man to me in the first passenger coach, the ladies' car. He is a schoolteacher, and tobacco smoke distresses him. And by the time we pulled into Panama, I had the desired information. Dinner was not to be thought of. I had barely time to dash through the second-class gate and back along the track to Balboa Labor Train. From the docks, a sand train carried me to Pedro Miguel. There was a craneman in Basabispo cut whose testimony was wanted. I reached him by two short walks and a ride. His statement suggested the advisability of questioning his roommate, a towerman in Miraflores freight yard. Luck would have it that my chauffeur friend, blank, was just then passing with an ICC motor car and only a photographer for a New York weekly aboard. I found room to squeeze in. The car raced away through the cut, up the declivity, and dropped me at the foot of the tower. The roommate referred me to a locomotive engineer and, being a towerman, gave me the exact location of his engine. I found it at the foot of the Cucaracha slide with a train nearly loaded. By the time the engineer had added his wit of information, we were swinging around toward the Pacific dump. I dropped off and, climbing up the flank of Ancon Hill, descended through the hospital grounds. Where the royal palms are finest and there opens out the broadest view of Panama, Ancon, and the bay, I gave myself five minutes pause, after which a carriage bore me to a shop near Cathedral Plaza where second-hand goods are bought, and no questions asked. On the way back to Ancon Station, I visited two similar establishments. I had been lolling in the swivel chair a full ten minutes, perhaps, when the telephone rang. It was the captain calling for me. When I reached the third story back, he handed me extradition papers to the Secretary of Foreign Affairs in Panama. A half hour later, wholly outstripping the manana idea, I had signed a receipt for the Jap in question and transferred him from Panama to Ancon Gel. Whereupon, I descended to the evening passenger and rode to Pedro Miguel for five minutes' conversation and caught the labor train Panama word. At Corozal, I stepped off for a word with the officer on the platform, and the labor train plunged on again, after the fashion of labor trains, spilling the last half of its disembarking passengers on the way. Ten minutes later, the headlight of the last passenger train swung around the curve and carried me away to Panama. That might have done for the day, but I had gathered momentum it was hard to check. Not long after returning from the police mess to the swivel chair, a slight omission in the day's program occurred to me. I called up Corozal Police Station. What? said a mashed potato voice at the other end of the wire. Who's talking? Policeman Green, sir. Station commander there? No, sir. Station commander, he gone just over to the YM to play billiards, sir. They one big match on tonight. Of course I could have got him there, but on second thoughts, it would be better to see him in person and clear up at the same time a little matter in one of the labor camps, and not run the risk of causing the loss of billiard championships. Besides, Corozal is cooler to sleep in than Ancon. In a black starry night, I set out along the invisible railroad for the first station. An hour later, everything settled to my satisfaction. I had discovered a vacant bed in Corozal bachelor quarters and was pulling off my coat preparatory to the shower bath and a well-earned night's repose. Suddenly, I heard a peculiar noise in the adjoining room, much like that of a seal coming to the surface after being long underwater. My curiosity awakened. I sauntered a few feet along the veranda. 
beside one of the cots stood a short roly-poly little man the lower third of whom showed rosy pink below his bell-shaped white nighty as he turned his face toward the light to switch it off i swallowed the roof of my mouth and clawed at the clapboarding for support it was the sloth he had been transferred i slipped hastily into my coat and turning up the collar plunged out into the rain and the night and stumbled blindly away on weary legs toward panama End of chapter 8, part 2